You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Well, this weekend we're going to be examining uh, one more week of responses to some recently uh, submitted questions that to help finish the uh, the statement that's behind me, which is Jesus, what is up with? And today uh, we're going to be tackling a, a number of questions that were um, submitted uh, on the issue of forgiveness. So we were we were kind of taken back how many questions were submitted on the subject of forgiveness. And so we thought, okay, there's something here. And so we need to lean into that. And I'm grateful that uh, I'm going to be able to uh, co-teach today with uh, our newest staff member, uh, Eric Kraft, who leads our junior high ministry. And we're grateful for Eric. And I think you'll see today, if you've not had a chance to be around Eric, that God's blessed him with uh, talents and skills that we're grateful for. So Uh, But before we tackle this very important topic of Jesus, what's up with forgiveness, I I wanted to let you know of an important message series that we're going to kick off next weekend uh, that we're very, very excited about with most of the local schools already either back in session or going to be starting real soon. uh, We thought it would be a good opportunity at the beginning of a school year for us to revisit the opportunity that we have as a church uh, to really invest in this next generation. But we're going to do it in a fresh way with a fresh new angle. And so starting next week, we're going to talk about the principle of fusion. Now, maybe you're not real familiar with that word fusion. This has nothing to do with the solar eclipse taking place this weekend, by the way. And by the way, I'm just curious. uh, We had a pretty good crowd last night on Saturday. It was pretty encouraging. And I asked a show of hands, uh, and I I guess a number of them are heading out of town to go see the eclipse. They were here last night. But how many of you uh, plan to go see the eclipse or go out of town? Okay, go ahead. Don't be shy. Okay, I got a family member, got neighbor going. Uh, take pictures for me. I'm kind of nervous. I think I'm going to look down all day tomorrow. <laughs> I don't want to damage my eyes. But anyways, uh, so be careful out there. But, uh, but we're going to be talking about fusion. Fusion, the word fusion, uh, the definition is the process or result of joining two or more things together to form a single entity. So we're going to be exploring ways that every individual at Southwest, whether you're single, whether you're married without children, whether you're married with children, or whether you're like my wife and I married and now empty nesters, we're going to talk about how that each one of us can come alongside uh, families here at Southwest, even the local schools, and really uh, join forces to make a difference in the lives of preschoolers, school-aged children, and students in junior high, high school, and even into college, so that we can truly make a lasting difference. So I want to encourage you to be praying about this series, because we've got some good things planned and coming up, and we're looking forward to sharing those with you. But but if you could join us in praying about that, but also uh, plan to come, but also be thinking of your circle of friends and influence 
and see who you could encourage to come. There'll be some good things in this message for parents to take to heart. There'll be some good things for, for educators or for people that are trying to really make a difference. And just be thinking of who you can invite to come. And along with that, I think this would be a great time before we get started today, um, just to pray for all of our local... That's why I wanted to pray before the kids left, but we'll pray in their absence. But uh, just pray for all of them to have a great school year. Uh, pray for all the children in our, our uh, children's ministry. Pray for all the teachers that are among us, administrators, uh, staff, you know, whether it's somebody serving lunch or whether it's somebody driving a bus or, or whatever their role might be in the local school. Uh, let's pray for each and every one of them and just pray that uh, God will bless them and protect them and uh, be at work this year. So would you just let's begin with a prayer. Dear God, thank you for what a, what a great God you are. And Father, I'm just grateful for how you, uh, you continue to be at work in the life of this church. We see that, Father. We see evidence of that. We're grateful for new people you bring our way. We're grateful for people's lives changing and people growing. And it's so encouraging. We're so thankful. Father, for all the children and to hear that last weekend was a, a record attendance on Sunday evening, our junior high and high school uh, event. And Father, we're just grateful. And yet we know with this, these opportunities come uh, some responsibility to really make sure that we're seeking to make a difference. And so I pray, Father, that you'll be with all of our children, all of our students, we pray that all, any of the teachers in the crowd and administrators in the crowd or, or school workers, we just pray that you'll be at work in their lives and that you will protect them this year, that you will guide them. And I pray, Father, that um, as a church, we can look for ways we can continue to have influence to point people to you and to be a blessing to people in this community and surrounding communities. Father, we uh, want to pray now that you'll be with everything that's said from this stage that you'll just guide our words. Pray that your spirit will lead Eric and I to say the things that, that need to be said. And um, I, I pray, Father, for our hearts uh, as we listen, that we can be receptive to what your word has to say to us today on the subject of forgiveness. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen. Awesome. So, hey, like Roger said, I'm Eric. I'm the junior high guy here. And I love crowd participation. So I'm going to ask you all to raise your hand here in a second. How many of you have ever messed it up? Right? We've all messed it up. I'm going to be vulnerable with you for a second. I'm going to tell a story where I messed it up. Uh, it was kind of a big mess up in my mind. I was a junior in college at the time. I was about 20, 21. And it was January. And I had just come off this break of this internship I was at where I was off for a few weeks. And it was my first Sunday back. And normally, I get to church at 8 o'clock. That's how it is here in Southwest for me, and that's also how it was at this internship. I was at church at 8 o'clock. I'd eat breakfast before I'd come. I'd sit. I'd read my Bible. I'd do coffee. I'd do all that stuff before I get to church. So right as work starts, I'm ready to go. Well, this one morning, I kind of woke up late. I'm not talking like I woke up at 8 o'clock like I was supposed to be there. No, I woke up at 9.30. Um, student service starts at 10. I was late. It's a 20-minute drive to get there. So by the time I was at least presentable enough... <laughs> Um, not the best, but still enough to like feel comfortable walking in the door. I walked in at about 10.30 to this church service for students. And, <laughs> man, um, 
the look on my face, the look on some other people's faces, I was definitely there like the very end. I had missed a lot. And my boss had just finished preaching to all these high school students. And he comes off stage and he walks to the back and we're out in the lobby and we're kind of talking. And I just look at him and I go, Daniel, I am so, so sorry. I messed this up this morning. I was late by a huge margin. I have no good excuse. I just overslept. At this point, I'm willing to take any punishment you want to dish out to me. Because I deserved it, right? I was, like, really, really late. And Daniel looks at me, and I'm expecting to be yelled at in this moment, berated. I'm expecting to get a write-up. I'm expecting all this stuff. And he says the words that, like, just made my mouth drop. He goes, it's okay. You're forgiven. What? <laughs> like, it was just astonishing to me in that moment. And it's funny, because sometimes mess-ups are goofy like that, where we're just late to work. And we have a bad day like that. But sometimes our mess-ups are bigger. And we're left with this question that was on the screen. How can you, Jesus, forgive someone like me? Someone like me who has messed up in so many regards. And if you get anything out of what I preached this morning from this question, I want you to get this one statement alone. Is that you are never too far gone. And it is never too late for Jesus to forgive you. That's right. I want to say it one more time. You are, it's never too late. For Jesus to forgive you. One of my favorite stories in scriptures come from John chapter 21. This is right after Jesus had just risen from the dead. It's in that 40 year, or not 40 year, 40 day time frame. Where Jesus is kind of just hanging around. He's going and doing a bunch of stuff. And he's not with the disciples constantly in this 40 day time frame. In fact, in this particular story in John chapter 21, he had just disappeared from the disciples after he had showed back up to them saying, hey, I'm alive, I've risen from the dead, we've won. And the disciples are confused in this time frame. They're like, all right, what do we do? Like, Jesus is back, but um, he's not hanging around us all the time. So we were fishermen before, I might as well go back to being fishermen. So the disciples go out into the sea and they fish. And they're about 100 yards off the coast. They're about a football field's distance from the coast. And they're not catching a thing. One thing that's hilarious about the disciples is they were notoriously bad fishermen. They just could never catch fish. And so they're just not catching any fish, and they hear this voice from across the shore. It says, hey, have you caught anything? Does it look like we've caught anything, dude? Like, there's nothing here. Like, there's no fish on our boat. And I picture the voice kind of laughing and chuckling and saying, Hey, toss the net to the other side. So simple as that, right? Just toss the net to the other side. And they reel in this huge, like, lot of fish. And it's anything more than they've caught the past few days. They're excited. And then it clicks in Peter's mind that, wait a minute, this has happened before. This happened the same time when I was called to first be his disciple. And then he looks into the shoreline and he makes out, it's like, oh, This is Jesus. And Peter gets so excited, the dude just jumps straight into the water and swims a hundred yards to Jesus. While all the other disciples are kind of just hanging out on the boat like, bro, we could just like all go together in this boat. You don't have to swim in this salty sea. Like, what are you doing? Um, But Peter is so anxious and excited because he wants to have a conversation with Jesus. Because up until this point, Peter and Jesus haven't had one-on-one time since Jesus' death. And right before Jesus died, Peter denied Jesus three times. Peter messed it up really badly. Three times he denied Jesus. Peter, the guy who said he would stand by Jesus' side to death, denied him three times. 
So Peter rushes to the shore and he meets Jesus. He's like, Jesus, Jesus, I need to talk to you. And Jesus is like, all right, hold on. Let's have breakfast first. And they all eat breakfast together. The disciples, Peter and Jesus. And then as we jump down to John chapter 21, it'll be on the screen. This is verse 15. It says this. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter replies to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus said, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus responds, tend my sheep. Now Jesus asked a third time, saying, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. So Jesus responds to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. When you were old, you would stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show him by what kind of death he was used to glorify God. And after saying this, he said, follow me. I love this story. Because it so clearly demonstrates that line that I, I brought up at the beginning of this passage. It's not too late and you're never too far gone for Jesus to love you and forgive you. Nothing you've done hasn't already been done that Jesus didn't die for. Nothing you've done can separate you from the love that Jesus has for you. So if that was you and you asked this question or you're wrestling with this personally, understand this truth. That if Jesus could forgive Peter for denying him three times and invite him to be a part of the story of building what is now the church, then he can forgive you and invite you into that same story as well. Very good. Thank you, Eric. Isn't it good to know that we worship a God who the psalmist described this way? The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. I'm so grateful that that's the God that we worship in Jesus Christ. And Eric, thanks for sharing that powerful story from Jesus' interaction with Peter. Well, this leads us to our second question. And this, this, this person asked the question, I'm saved, and I put in parentheses, forgiven. So why will I be judged? This is a, this is a great question. It's one that I've thought about before. Maybe you've thought about it. Obviously, the person that asked it uh, submitted it. But this is a great opportunity for us to emphasize that here at Southwest, that we believe that salvation is only possible through God's grace. This is the way the Bible uh, puts it. In Ephesians chapter 2, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Now, some of you, because maybe we don't use that vernacular a lot from stage, some of you might uh, be uh, new or a bit confused by how some people use that phrase, I'm saved. I think it's a, it's a great phrase. I think there's been a lot of misunderstandings through the years about how people utilize that phrase. But it's a powerful phrase describing an individual who has had their life dramatically altered by entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, typically, 
I think a focus of being saved and being in that right relationship with Jesus Christ is is twofold, okay? So I want to kind of unpack those two before we really answer these questions because the the question raises this phrase, I'm saved, and so I want to make sure we all are on the same page there. First, there's the, the twofold aspect of being saved. First, there's the promise of forgiveness and new life in Christ, These promises, the promise of forgiveness brings a quality of life and an inner peace that uh, is really tremendous. It's a confidence that we are now in a right relationship with God and that our past and present slate has been washed clean, that we're truly forgiven. And we no longer have to be, uh, you know, just pestered with these nagging feelings of guilt and shame. This is a promise that we emphasize to everyone here at Southwest that that we can influence that they will initially trust Christ by believing him, turning from their sin. The Bible describes that as repentance, confessing their need and, and their desire to be guided by Jesus to make him the Lord of their life, and then to be baptized into Christ So as the Bible describes that they can have confidence, that they can have assurance, that they have forgiveness of sins, as as the passage on the screen states so clearly. One of the assurances that I try to give every individual that I have the privilege to influence and even be involved in their baptism is that the promise of God's word is that all sins are washed away when we come to Christ. What a great gift to know that for the Christian who continually uh, lives honestly before God and continues to confess their sin is that, you know, because we're not going to be perfect after we become a Christian. So once you, once you become a Christian, when you recognize sin, the promise in Scripture in 1 John is that if we confess our sins, he will continue to forgive our sins. What a great promise and a great assurance to know for the Christian that we can walk and live in a continual state of forgiveness. I love that. If you're not experiencing that confidence, if you're not experiencing that assurance that you're forgiven, that your past has been washed clean, that that you don't have that confidence that you're forgiven and and truly in that right relationship with Christ, then we'd love to know how we can help you. Maybe make a note on the communication card or see me in the lobby afterwards because we want everybody that worships here to know and, and be confident of the forgiveness that's in Christ. The Hebrew writer describes the power of this forgiveness in this way. It, 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 talking about the new covenant found in Christ. In Hebrews 10, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. What a great promise to know that God remembers our sin no more. That's a great promise to the Christian. As you keep reading in the Bible, at the very end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, there's this this powerful scene that describes how that, that on the final judgment that there will be this book of the book of life and that all that have their name written in the book of life that they have the promise of eternity that's the second aspect of this 
being saved, not just living a quality of life of being forgiven and having that new life, but then the promise, the assurance of being able to spend eternity with God forever in heaven. This is the the description that the Apostle Paul writes about that that promise. Read this with me as as it's on the screen, 2 Corinthians 5, if you want to write it down. It's a great passage that kind of helps us wrestle with this question that was asked. 2 Corinthians 5 says, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body, made for us by God himself and not by human hands. For those of us who are getting a little older that maybe have some aches and pains, isn't it great to think about having an eternal body that doesn't ache, doesn't have pains? He goes on in verse 5, he says, God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and, are, and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident And we'd rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. Now, here's the interesting twist in this whole context of talking about eternal confidence and and security. In verse 10, he says, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will receive whatever we, we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. So how do you make sense? And I think this is what the question is getting at, that even for those of us who are saved, who have been forgiven, who have confidence of eternity with God forever, that, that the Bible, even in the context of talking about that promise, says that we're all going to be standing before Christ and that we'll be judged for the good and the evil we've done in our earthly body. Well, I'm going to share with you a few thoughts to consider as we wrestle with this question. The first is that possibly, possibly for the Christian, we'll still stand before the judgment seat of Christ, but when, when he opens up our file, and I don't know if we all have a file, that'd be a pretty big filing cabinet, but, but, but it, when he opens up our file, that when he looks for a list of wrongs, because we've come to know Christ, when he looks at our list, it's clean. It's a clean slate. Because I'm, I'm counting on that passage in Hebrews that says he remembers our sin no more. Or maybe... You know, there'll be that list of sin, but stamped over it so you can't even see it. It's just, uh, you know, red stamp that says forgiven by Christ or in Christ. And, and that says it all. You know, we were, we were talking about that in our staff. In fact, uh, on Friday, I was thinking about these, this passage. I was struggling with how to best present it. And so I talked to Eric and I talked to Andrew. What do you guys think it's going to be like to stand before the judgment seat of Christ? And Andrew, who always seems to have an interesting twist, says, I wonder how long that line will be. And then he said, I wonder if there's going to be troublemakers saying, man, it feels like we've been in this line for eternity, you know. Think about that one. Okay, but anyways... 
So what's that going to be like? Well, the second thought for us to consider on this question is, could it be, could it be that the judgment for the Christian is not about where they will spend eternity because that's already secure by the grace of God. But maybe it's about reward. Maybe it's about reward. Now, first of all, I think it's going to be a great reward just to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm looking forward to hearing that. How about you? But I heard someone put it this way. It's only by grace that anyone can go to heaven. So heaven is not our reward. It's a place of grace. And yet it's also a place of rewards. It's not our reward. It's the place of rewards. The apostle Paul talked about at the end of his life that he was waiting to receive the crown of righteousness. When you go through the gospels, Jesus talks a lot about rewards in heaven. Jesus said to those who are persecuted, great is your reward in heaven. On another occasion, he says, give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. And Jesus even said, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who's my disciple, truly I tell you that person will certainly not lose their reward. Could it be that heaven is an eternal place that's based purely on grace, as we've talked about earlier, and yet it is a place of rewards? In other words, heaven isn't the reward, it's, it's, it's a gift by grace. But we will receive rewards of how we've lived our lives in the earthly body. As I listened to one speaker unpack this teaching, he shared about how cool it will be in heaven because people won't be jealous of other people's rewards because we'll be free from our broken nature. There won't be rivalry. And yet he did tell a story of, of one preacher who was curious because he saw next to him a cab driver who had more rewards in heaven than he did. And so out of curiosity, not out of jealousy or rivalry, he said, Lord, why, why did this cab driver have more rewards than I did? He said, simple. He said, when you were on earth doing what you did, you put people to sleep. When he was on earth doing what he did, people prayed. So, <laughs> so maybe people will be rewarded that we'll be surprised by. But here's two takeaways I'd like for you to leave you with on this idea of heaven being a place of rewards. One is that even for those who are confident of their salvation, we still have a responsibility on earth to be accountable for how we live our lives. One thing I wanted to point out to us, one thing I thought about on this passage is that if we have been forgiven, if we truly appreciate that, then we must in turn forgive others. Jesus said, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Possibly if we're struggling to forgive others, it's maybe because we don't really understand how great it is to be forgiven by God. And also, secondly, if we're really grateful for the forgiveness and salvation that's available in Christ, then we have a responsibility to in turn tell 
others. The very next verse, after verse 10, that talks about we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it says that in verse 11, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. Personally, I think the greatest reward in heaven will be able to be able to look around and see people, family members, friends, neighbors, that you've been able to influence, that they're in heaven as well. I think that'll be a pretty cool reward. What do you think? That's awesome. Thank you, Roger. Um, I think that kind of leads really well into our next question. Uh, this question of Jesus, what is up with deathbed salvation? You know, we just talked about the end, but what about right before the end? When that person's kind of on the fence about making that decision to accept Jesus right before they die. I've had some experience with this in my life. I had a friend, uh, he was one of my best friends in high school. His mom passed away of cancer our sophomore year of college. And I remember freshman year, it was an up and down roller coaster with his mom. One minute, she'd be doing really great. And the next minute, she wouldn't. And then one minute, she'd be doing great again. And then it wouldn't. And I remember being in his house a couple days before her death, and we were surrounding her, and there was a preacher there. And in her last moments, she did confess Jesus is Lord. But unfortunately, she never got to take place in part of that baptism experience, which I believe, and Roger believes, and everyone on staff believes, is necessary for salvation and part of the salvation process. And I wrestle with that for a moment. Like, is my friend's mom in heaven? Is this something, like, is she, she going to be okay? And I think there's some of us who have wrestled with that too. And so I want to read you this passage that really encouraged me in this moment. It said this in Romans 10, 9-13. It says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scriptures say everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no longer Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this passage, it gives me so much hope in moments like that. And while there's hope in moments like that, where people who confess Jesus on their deathbed will go to heaven, I want to ask this question of us, Jesus followers in the room, and question of those who have yet to accept Jesus in this room as well. Why wait till that very last moment? What is holding you back from accepting him now or having a conversation with a friend or a family member you care about now? Why wait? Life is too short not to have the important conversations with the people we care about. And one of the most important conversations, probably the most important conversation you could ever have with somebody is how's your relationship with Jesus? I think there's one person for each and every one of us in our lives who we can ask that question to this week. And so that's kind of really all I want to say about deathbed salvation or all I can say about deathbed salvation. That there is hope. But the question is, why wait? And why wait for an exception? I actually studied the Bible with a guy one time, and he said, you know, can I just time this becoming a Christian right before I die? (laughs) And he was honest. And I said, but, you know, you're going to miss out. 
on the quality of life that God longs for you to have in the here and now. You know, just to echo something that Eric shared is that, uh, you know, the good news is we're not the judge. God's the judge. You know, when Jesus was on the earth, he said, I want you to know the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So I guess my hope in those deathbed situations is that Jesus can forgive to choose anyone he chooses to forgive. And I'm grateful for that. But it's important for us to make sure that that we don't wait till that point. It's also important that we don't try to make the exception the basis for our, our doctrine or our teaching. But that understand that there, yeah, God is God and God can make exceptions. But it's our aim here at Southwest to consistently teach the truth of God's word in such a way that people can have the assurance in the here and now and live the quality of life that Jesus promises. Well, although we don't have time to, to really deal with this last question in, in the depth that probably we should, but I just want to mention this fourth question today is, why do I need forgiveness? One person submitted this question. Why do I need forgiveness, Jesus? I didn't do anything to you. And as I thought about that question, I thought, you know, I could have submitted that question a number of years ago. Because I remember growing up, there was this disconnect in my mind between what Jesus had done on the cross and me. I remember sitting in church and hearing people say, Jesus died for us on the cross. And I'm thinking, I didn't shout crucify him. He lived way back then. I live now. How did he die for me? And I remember just sitting there being puzzled. And I kind of got that sense when I read this question is, why do I need forgiveness, Jesus? I didn't do anything to you. As we go back to 2 Corinthians 5 that I read from earlier, and in verse 14, it reads, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. A turning point in my life and in my faith was when I came to realize that I had done something to Jesus. You see, that last passage I read said, we are convinced that one died for all. See, for years, I didn't make that connection. I, yeah, I would maybe even say, yeah, Jesus died for the sins of the world, but I kept it very generic. He died for the generic sins of the world. But when I began to make that very personal and I began to apply it to my life and I say, oh, Jesus died for my fits of rage for my hatred, for my jealousy, for my selfish ambition, for my pride. When I began to personally apply the cross to my heart and life, it made all the difference. It led to a personal connection with the cross. And secondly, I I think that along with that, it's, it just came a deep appreciation for what Jesus did for me. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, it says this. It says, for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. 
Isn't it good to know that we have a Savior in Jesus Christ who was willing to take each and every one of our sin upon himself? You see, so we did sin against him. If if we'd never sinned, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. But the truth of it is we have sinned. And Jesus willingly came to this earth saying, I will be their sin offering. I'm so grateful for that. He was willing to go to the cross and bear our sin so that we could go into eternity as if we hadn't sinned. That's good news. As we take communion today, as we wrap up our time together, let's remember the amazing love of Jesus Christ. Let's personalize the cross. As we take the bread, let's remember that it was costly for Jesus. He experienced pain. He suffered in his physical body. When we take the cup, let's remember that there was no There was no limit to how far Jesus was willing to go so that we could be forgiven, so that our sin could be washed clean. He was even willing to shed his blood. Let's allow this time of communion to be very personal and allow us to grow in our appreciation for Jesus, remembering him, but also examining our heart and our life. How are we responding personally? that sacrifice. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you, Father, for just how your word has so much to say on the subject of forgiveness. And I pray, Father, that, that we'll really take that personally. Help us, Father, to truly embrace and understand all these wonderful promises of how that in Christ we can be completely forgiven. Our slate be washed clean, be made new. But Father, we know that that came at a cost, it came at a price. Thank you that you were willing to sacrifice your only son. Jesus, thank you that you were willing to go to the cross. The punishment that we deserve, not you. But you were willing to endure that so that we could spend eternity with you and the Father. Thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Southwest Church Teaching Ministries. We are a community of people committed to following Jesus and making disciples. Please join us for one of our three weekly gatherings, Saturdays at 5.30 p.m., Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11.15 a.m.